Support for this podcast is provided by Paradox, the conversational AI company helping global talent acquisition teams at Unilever, McDonald's and CVS Health get recruiting work done faster. Let's face it, talent acquisition is full of boring administrative tasks that drag the hiring process down and create frustrating experiences for everyone. Paradox's AI assistant, Olivia, is shaking up that paradigm, automating things like applicant screening, interview scheduling, and candidate Q&A, so recruiters can spend more time with people, not software. Curious how Olivia can work for your team? Then visit paradox.ai to learn more. There's been more of scientific discovery more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 304 of the Recruiting Future podcast. With many countries facing a second wave of COVID-19, taking a long-term view on the outlook for work and employment is difficult. However, several months into this global crisis, crucial labour market trends are emerging, which will shape the future of talent acquisition. My guest this week is Neil Carberry, CEO of the Recruitment and Employment Confederation. The REC is doing a vast amount of work to understand the changes in the labour market and advise talent acquisition leaders and recruiting firms on the likely future. In our conversation, Neil shares some valuable perspectives on the challenges that lie ahead. Hi, Neil, and welcome to the podcast. Well, a real delight to be with you. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? So uh, I'm Neil Carberry. I'm the chief executive of a body called the Recruitment and Employment Confederation. The REC is the UK's representative body and uh, professional body for recruiters. And that's uh, several thousand recruitment agencies, but also about 10,000 recruitment professionals, uh, both in agency and uh, in talent acquisition inside companies. Uh, But as a sideline, I I do a little bit of work with ACAS uh, and with the Low Pay Commission helping make uh, British labour market policy. Now, I know that that in your role and something that the REC does does a lot of is is obviously monitoring the the labour market and looking at what's going on. It's a pretty crazy year all around the world in terms of growing unemployment and shifts in the economy. I suppose to start on a positive note, what are you seeing in terms of recovery in the jobs market? Where are the hiring hotspots? What's going on? So I think if you look across uh, the labour market in the UK, and I think my uh, opposite numbers in uh, federations around the rest of the world would say the same thing, is COVID is a very differential uh, sort of recession from what we're used to. Uh, if you go back to the 70s and the 80s, the jobs impact were primarily in manufacturing in the Midlands, North and Scotland. Uh, in the UK, um, if you go back to 0809, it was mostly professional services and financial services and centred in London and the South East. And actually, I remember I was a different business organisation at that time. And I remember how normal business in the North felt at that time because it was less affected by the recession. And um, the interesting thing about COVID is it's it's really a demand-driven recession. 
um, in as much as everyone uh, everyone stopped very swiftly at the beginning of the lockdown. And in particular, those businesses facing the consumer were hardest hit. So, uh, you know, really tough times in terms of hiring in hospitality, in retail. I think it's also in office work because uh, offices are the, the kinds of places that uh, are more likely still to be operating remotely and closed. And some of the you know, recruitment, while we've made some really good progress in terms of online has slowed into those places. The places that are going really fast are what well, anything that's affected uh, uh, as a driver of demand from the from the uh, 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 from uh, the COVID situation. So anything in healthcare, anything in logistics that's been uh, been driven by the big move to online retail, um, but also uh, actually factories by and large are open, and we're seeing big demand in uh, in uh, in engineering, but also in other areas that we know will continue to be big. So IT uh, is huge as well. It's really a sectoral story, though, rather than a regional story. So previous recessions have been regionally quite differentiated. I think because this one particularly hits hospitality and retail, and they are everywhere. It falls more evenly, apart from one thing. It's definitely true now that uh, smaller towns, regional cities are doing better than larger cities because more people are going back. So if you look at you know, businesses across the UK, they're typically reporting better returns from sites in uh, county towns than they are from sites in city centres. And I think that will drive a bit of change in hiring as well. That's really interesting because I live in a small commuter town just outside Edinburgh and the town is full at the moment because people aren't commuting and aren't, aren't going into the city. So the shops are busy and the demand is there. So it's it's a really interesting dynamic. What do you see from this in the long term? Because you, you mentioned that this is a demand-led recession now presumably restaurants and retail will will start up again probably not in the short term but in the in the medium to to long term in some way shape or form what do you think some of the the longer term impacts of this are likely to be in terms of employment and the shape of employment so i'm really quite dismissive of the kind of argument that the stock of employment is likely to be lower over time i think we're constantly told this um, and it never seems to be true because, you know, as human beings, we find new ways to serve each other and new job and create new jobs. I think the I think the challenge is less about the stock and it's more about transition. So the first big challenge is that there are some sectors that are going to be larger coming out of this and some areas which uh, which will be growing and some areas which will shrink. I think we all know that the very large numbers of people who've worked in bricks and mortar retail up to now, well, there'll be fewer people working in bricks and mortar retail for the long haul. So there's there's a real challenge in transition and understanding where the growth is. And, you know, if I talk to my recruitment agency members, we're talking a lot now about not having discussions about kind of short-term talent acquisition, but actually getting the discussion onto where's this business going, which bits are growing, which bits, you know, we're, with regret are going to be a smaller or uh, or uh, or sold off. How do we begin to build a plan for getting the people into those roles that need to be into those roles? Because even today, even this week, I have been talking to recruitment agency 
businesses who cannot fill their vacancies because you know the kind of slightly simplistic politician world of all unemployment automatically clears into all extant vacancies. We know that's not true because people need to make transitions. So there's a big bit about how do we help people make that transition. Obviously, there's a government role in that. But I think as employers, we also need to think about, well, are our, how do our pathways need to change to help people who are coming maybe into our business mid-career or help people on a pathway into a new and growing area that maybe we haven't built up an apprenticeship or a skills pathway before. So there's a big pressure on businesses to think about that. And then just in terms of the position of candidates and businesses, um, we know that this kind of mixed model for lots of places that where people don't necessarily have to be on site all the time is going to stick around. I mean, you talk about your um, uh, your co- uh, commuter town. I, I live in in one as well, just outside Oxford, although I am an Edinburgh boy by uh, 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 by background. And I, I, I recognise exactly the same thing. You know, the most notable thing when you walk around t- town is that there are prime age men and women in the town where I live now in the middle of the day, where there wouldn't have been previously because we would have been in Reading or Oxford or London or Bristol or all of the places that 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 people work. And I don't think people will go back to five days a week in uh, in one place. They are going to move, make a move to uh, some kind of mixed model. And that mixed model poses lots of really interesting questions for talent acquisition. You know, you know if you think about hiring in London, if you're only requiring someone to come to the office two or three days a week, your commutable range realistically stretches from Plymouth in uh, Devon on the Cornish border to Newcastle upon Tyne. And then that has some loads of knock-on exp- um, uh, impacts on things like pay uh, and what pay expectations are for people who are working in wild- working from wildly different home bases. And, and we will get a lot more individualization of the discussion about how we work. And for for businesses, I think that individualization, you need to have some kind of framework within which that happens. So I did a I did a uh, an event um, uh, just last night talking about the fact that there's also a new collectivism here about how do we employ as an organization and how do we uh, and what's our employer brand that we you have to get spot on for what is a very different kind of ask and proposition for candidates absolutely i think this is requiring a rethink by employers that no other recession has really driven before a couple of points i sort of want to pick up on there obviously you mentioned skills and companies having the right skills and and training people and and rethinking career pathways and and all of those things and that's something that i know is impacting employers all over the world are you starting to see any interesting or innovative solutions to that problem coming from employers themselves or from from recruiters? So I'm a great believer in the idea that recessions don't do anything economically other than um, amplify and accelerate things that were already happening. And the thing that gives me most hope, and it was interesting to see Boris Johnson pick up on this a bit, 
uh, on the 29th of September is that in areas of England, particularly because some of the work that, say, Andy Street's done in Birmingham, you're starting to see a big trend towards more local discussion about what how you match supply and demand for skills. So you're getting colleges and um, education providers and small businesses, large businesses, local en enterprise partnerships together and really starting to plan around if this is the demand that we see in the local area for the things that are growing now, how do we build at local level real plans so kids from around here can get access to that and adults from around here can get access to that in sustainable ways? And you know, one of the most powerful things we could do to drive that, of course, is allow firms to share skills funding. In the UK, we've got an apprenticeship levy, which you know we, we at the RC have been coming for years to reform and making it shareable is one way that you can reform it. So I think that's going to be really interesting because the risk traditionally with transition is that we all leave it to government and government designs some kind of massive top-down uh, scheme that is a success in its own terms because loads of people use it, but is a failure in absolute terms because you don't deal with um the core challenge which is getting people into sustainable work so the you know, our criticism of um rishi sunak the uk chancellor's winter economic plan was nothing to do with the content of the plan uh, i think it's actually all quite sensible stuff and things like the va the vat change um is really really helpful to businesses but um there needs to be more on how can we at local and sectoral level drive uh discussions about the pathways people have into the jobs that are growing and i think for businesses a big part of this is employer brand uh, so it's not just that's how we meet our needs and you know chief execs say talent is their biggest issue and i usually say to chief execs say that great so don't buy it like you buy paper clips start thinking about it in terms of human engagement and that kind of humanity that we've all had because we're, we've been inviting each other into our homes for the last six months to do our business meetings. Um, I, I think there's a, as well as kind of enlightened self-interest in terms of building paths to growing areas, I think increasingly there'll be an expectation that business pitches in on this and ties its workforce development plan to, uh, to skills and progression plans that are happening locally to them in the areas where they hire, boost for inclusion, obviously. Um, I think that is a huge opportunity for recruiters and talent acquisition specialists to really play a big different, a uh, big role in, you know, mitigating the crisis that we're in now and helping us bounce back. We're just starting some work at the REC about, um, you know, the difference doing this well can make, but not to us as recruiters or to direct just directly to to companies but to the growth of the whole british economy and the opportunity that the british economy and uh, that the, the, the british economy can deliver to british people i know that that's a process uh, that's happening elsewhere in the world as well uh, our colleagues in australia are doing some fantastic work on the role of recruiters in really helping australia through the crisis 
And I think we should have a moment of pride and opportunity here for what is increasingly a very professional role. And, you know, the REC, our focus is on supporting members as a, uh, a, a particularly individual members on professionalism and standards and professional qualifications because we think increasingly the role of TA and of agency recruitment and the success of economies is going to be huge. Just to pick up on another point that you made earlier, I think in the future when we look back at this time, we'll we'll kind of categorise it as, as a time of in, intense and rapid digital transformation. And it's very obvious that, that some things aren't going to go back to the way that they were because of the way that people are, are now using technology or things have been enabled by technology that, that people didn't think were, were actually possible. You mentioned that your view is that we're going to go back to the, some kind of blended version of office work and homework. How do you see recruiting being affected in the long term by the the sort of the leaps that have been made in terms of using technology in the last few months? That's a really interesting question. And I think from uh, our perspective, yeah, Take your lead from what, don't watch what I say, watch what I do. The REC's recently um, launched a future learn course for TA professionals inside companies uh, about re- uh, recruiting and onboarding online. And I think when we in Future Learn started that, it was about how can we keep things going during this period? And I think now it's more about how do you make sure that in recruiting and onboarding online, you're doing it well? Uh, because bits of this are going to stay. What have we learned about recruit about online work and recruitment? Well, one, you can move processes more quickly. Uh, you can slide into people's diary for half an hour uh, much more easily because people's diaries are much more rigidly managed in the Zoom world. Um, you can run processes really quickly. I've come across one where you, where someone went via a couple of interviews from not looking for a job passive candidate Monday morning to a job offer Friday afternoon. Now, there's a, that poses some really interesting and different questions, which is, you know, candidate engagement is all about making sure people feel they're making the right decision for them and, you, uh, and that you know that they're settled in it being the right call. Um, can you do that in four days in the way that maybe in traditional process it's running so three, four weeks at least for for rules of some seniority. Um, that's that's a that's an interesting question, and I think what we have got now is the ability technologically to run quite swift processes, um, online interviews. I think online use of testing and assessment w- uh, will just take off from here, and we'll u- use it much more. Uh, much more even in uh, processes where we're using in-person interviews. Um, I think online interviewing does encourage a level of structure that's probably helpful. Um, so there's a lot that we can that we can learn. I do think that the the skill in it is going to be making sure that just because the technology enables us to go fast, we don't necessarily need to go as fast as the technology enables us. So, you know, the, the art of talent attraction is talent attraction. The art of recruitment is in the human and not in the uh, process. So I do think we it's going to pose us some big questions about how we manage processes. But in reality, 
yeah, I, I think increasingly you might well see uh, the in-person interview come back, but I think you'll see it at the end of the process. I think, you know, when you're doing uh, interviews of sort of eight to 10 candidates on a shortlist, I'd expect that first stage to be increasingly to increasingly to stay on Zoom. It's been uh, fascinating for me, just parochially. Uh, our uh, board has been recruiting some new non-recruiter, non-execs over the last month, and how efficient the process has been and effective run entirely online. I think we're learning a lot there about uh, what the tech can do. Uh, the critical thing is that the human stuff, the added value that exists around that is still just as important. So I'm really optimistic, actually, that we've learned a lot of you of use during this period for recruitment. I do think that we need to remember that there's a lot of stuff that isn't kind of te- automatable or even AIable at the um, at this stage or possibly at any stage. Um, and I think there's a real drive. It's a bit like office space. There might well be a real drive to say, well, we can do all this via technology now. I, I'm cautious on key, on just a tech first solution because it's a bit like the FD who says, oh, we don't need an office now. We've been had the office closed for six months. Well, you know, if you're that's great if you're um, like me and sitting here in the office at home. But if you're working on mum's ironing board at the start of your career because mum's working on the kitchen table and dad's working on the only desk, um, if you've never uh, had access to the workplace to understand the culture or access the training and support that that that, that comes about there, if you're trying to do innovation and business planning, all of those things require a level of co-working that technology doesn't deliver particularly well but they're long-term things and i think the same is true of of recruitment you can run processes in very short very quick ways online but actually the art is in how we bring candidates and companies together and that art is a human art so use the technology but it has to the technology is a tool it's not the process I know that the REC is affiliated with similar organisations all over the world. What, what are you seeing from outside the UK? How is recruitment being impacted in other countries? Is it is it similar? Are there are there variations? What's it? What does it look like out there? So I think it's fair to say that you know, roughly speaking, the impact on the market it, it correlates with the uh, position on the virus and and controls. Um, put in place by government. So we saw China fall off the cliff first in terms of recruitment activity and then bounce back very strongly um, sort of in the March time while we were locking down. A similar sort of process in Australia, um, the United States and Canada for different reasons where we went down very quickly and came uh, and then came back quite quickly. A little bit of slowdown more recently in Australia because obviously they had that outbreak in Victoria. the US has picked up, but of course the US has picked up because they've edged towards a living with the virus strategy um, that's roughly different to what's happening in Europe. In Europe, the story is, again, you know, more effect in those areas with higher cases. Overall, the things that I draw out are, you know, temp has been much less affected than permanent. So in the UK, peak to trough, I'd say perm recruitment activity dropped by about 80% in March and April. 
Now it's come back since then, but that is a much bigger drop than the sort of 40% peak to trough in that time period that we saw in temp. Um, and I think the dro- there are big drivers still to temp in the market now. Lots of HRDs, talking to the HRD of GSK recently, um, lots of HRDs saying the challenge that they have right now is they've got quite good demand and quite good visibility uh, in the business for this month and next month. The challenge is not knowing what the path is three to six months out. And I think that is that has been a big driver to temp in the in the UK market as it bounces back. And I, I see that story played out in other markets globally. Um, clearly, there, you know, there are a number of countries where, like the UK, I think Australia is in the same place, a number of other Western European countries where government intervention has maintained capacity in, in recruitment, uh, whether that's uh, people on furlough for in TA roles in uh, big businesses or it's people accessing the support scheme in, say, Australia. Um, working in agency, um, the challenge now is how we transition from that heavy support scheme back into normality and what that means in terms of the prioritisation inside companies of kind of TA roles and uh, and HR roles. And I think that we're, we're facing another moment where we're going to have to make the case for people thinking being at the top table inside businesses uh always difficult in a recession where where the finance counts but i think there is a greater pressure on businesses to think a bit more long term about their financial prospects and that part of that is about getting the people stuff right so i'd hate for this to be an, a crisis where we lose track of the the kind of the importance of candidate experience, the importance of good work, the importance of good employee relations. And actually, I think there's a chance that we won't do that because around the world, what you do see is a lot more discussion uh, around how we go forward that is genuinely rooted in some of the humanity, that it is the the theme of 2020, if you want the, the silver lining of all this, which is, as I said earlier, you know, people being invited into each other's homes on Zoom calls. That I've noticed a real drop in defensiveness amongst uh, business leaders in terms of talking about how they are and talking about how the business is doing. I think some of that we're going to try and keep hold of. It will help us navigate the future. So, final question, and this will probably be a summary of some of the things that you've already that you've already said. But what would your advice be to to employers, to talent acquisition teams, in terms of what they should be focusing on and doing over the next six to twelve months? So, I think the first, you know, let's not be Pollyanna-ish about this, right? These are tough times. And they're the toughest times that most of us have worked through. Um, But they're not without hope or without optimism. And what is happening now in businesses around the world is business leaders are thinking about what is the shape of this business going forward? How does this business succeed for its shareholders? And how does it serve customers' needs as they change? I think there's a real opportunity for people working in HRTA people roles to make a robust case that says, 
both in terms of the court of public opinion, the fact you can kill your brand overnight on Twitter from doing the wrong thing, um, and in terms of the reams of data that we have on productivity and how productivity is generated, especially in services industries, and you know, most Western economies are heavily services uh, skewed. Um, employee, employee relations matters. How people come in to the business matters. How they're onboarded, or, or onboarded once they're recruited matters. And how, they, how they're managed matters. And that, that shines through from loads of the productivity work that's been done in the UK in the last few years. So I think now is really a moment to be the agents of tying those two things together. Because we're going to have to do as companies what is commercially sensitive, uh, sensible, and some of that is um, going to be really difficult. But we can do it in ways which focus on that long-term people engagement strategy. Um, and that that is a bit more strategic. It's a bit more about workforce planning. It's a bit more about innovation in the business. Um, but if not us as a community, who is going to hold the torch for that inside businesses? Because it's not going to be finance. And that, that strikes me as a, a tough fight, but one that's worth picking, one that's worth picking, whether you're internal or indeed whether you're an agency, because if you're a recruiter in agency right now, phoning up with a bunch of CVs isn't going to get you very far, but phoning up with some interesting ideas about an area that, that a client business is growing in might get you a, a discussion that leads you nowhere, but, in time, it might lead to some interesting kind of put being pulled in on replanning for the business and starting to have kind of really exciting uh, contributions about what we build because it's time to get focused on what we build back. And I said earlier, you know, recessions just amplify and accelerate things that that have already happened that were already going to happen in our in our labour market. That's true. They also. Um, give us an opportunity to um, to remake and reprioritize. So I think as we come out of this, the, the scope for innovation is enormous and the scope for that being people-driven is really big as well. So I think um, a bit of optimism about that and a bit of pride in dealing with the line in terms of how solving the line's problems through better use of, use of our people strategies, I think that is... Ultimately, this has been a really tough year, but you know, 2021, 2022, 2023 could be great times to be in this line of work as we're building something that lasts for another economic cycle, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Neil, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you, Matt. Absolute pleasure. My thanks to Neil. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow us on Instagram. You can find the show by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search through all the past episodes at www.recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.